0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. It's time now to open our Bibles. I hope you're uh, turning with me to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth in the Old Testament. You can find that on page 222 of your pew Bible, but you'll definitely want to open and follow along because in this Advent season we are looking at this great story of Ruth Last week we looked in chapter 1, this morning we'll be in chapter 2. And you've got an outline there in your bulletin which will help you follow along as we look at the scriptures in chapter 2. And uh, as you're going there in chapter 2, I wonder if you have someone that pops in your mind when you think of someone who is a great storyteller. A great storyteller. You know, uh, not everyone who tells stories are good at telling stories, uh, but you and I know what makes for a good storyteller, someone who's able to grab you up front with a sense of, Uh, why this is a story worth listening to uh, and leads you along, giving you just enough information along the way to keep you interested. But as they're telling the story, they know something that you don't, and, and they're excited to make you learn that information in just the way they want you to learn it. Narrators of stories often tell stories with a twinkle in their eye, again, because they know what you don't. And along the way, you find out certain bits of information and uh, some of my favorite storytellers like to tell stories uh, using things like, well, you know, it just so happened uh, or wouldn't, you know, you know, this happened and that happened type of way of saying who would have thought. But drawing you along the whole way, realizing that that is just the point of the story. And actually, the book of Ruth is like that very much so. Because the book of Ruth is narrated from this perspective that gives us information along the way that as readers of the story, we know what Ruth and Naomi and a certain man we'll learn about today named Boaz. We know information that they don't. And along the way, there are these signals that point to us like a narrator saying, Watch out for this. Keep your eye on this. And there's even in the text a few illustrations of things just so happening. When in reality, we know that things don't just so happen, that God is uh, ordaining the events of time for his intended purposes, and the book of Ruth teaches us these wonderful lessons. So we'll find today a development of this great story in Ruth in chapter 2. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word, and uh, we'll dive into Ruth this morning. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to be together Uh, Lord, we love your church and we love the gathering of your people. We love to sit under the authority of your scriptures where you speak to us. We pray, Lord, this morning that as we hear in Ruth chapter 2 the story of your providence, we pray that you would encourage us today, that you would illuminate our ears, our minds, that you would give us understanding, and that you would speak your truth to us in a way that we might truly understand. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless both the hearing of your word today, uh, that you would bless it with application to our hearts as well. Speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of God from Ruth in chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose side I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Beside... He said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. So may He write His eternal truth on our hearts today. Ruth is a short book, a short story, and uh, I I hope that if you have not been familiar with it, that uh, beginning last week and on into this week, you're beginning to appreciate the story that it is. Sometimes people consider Ruth to be a love story, and they think that the main characters of this love story are Ruth and Boaz, but I wonder if you were to stop and consider who is who is the main character of the story of Ruth. Uh, some might say that uh, the narrative focuses more on Naomi. You remember her from chapter one, losing her husband, losing her two sons, going to Moab, losing everything, and coming back empty. Some people think that the story of Ruth is a story of Naomi's grief and how she finds comfort in the Lord. Other people say that the story of Ruth is the main character, Ruth, who is that Moabite foreigner marrying into Naomi's family, coming back to Bethlehem with Naomi, and it's all about her newfound faith in the God of Israel and the faithfulness that she experiences. Whether it's Naomi, whether it's Ruth, some people say As I mentioned earlier, the love story is a story of Ruth and Boaz. Sometimes considered the great love story of the Old Testament. But in reality, the main character, and I hope you've come to understand this about how the Bible operates. In reality, the main character stays in the background. The main character is spoken of, but never speaks himself. And it is, of course, God himself. And in the book of Ruth, God is the main character who is telling this beautiful story and leading his people through a season of life and bringing them great blessing. When we read the Bible this way, it helps us to see God's workmanship in our lives. It helps us realize that you and I are not the main character of our lives either, but that God himself is the one who is planning and leading out his purposes in our lives, And in chapter 2, especially today, we will see just how God works in the lives of His people to bring about His intended purposes. People like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, but we'll also see lessons about how God moves in our lives as well to bring about His intended purposes. So on your handout, you see uh, three lessons that I think that we can understand about the way God moves in the lives of his people. And we'll see that he is the God of providence and the God of provision and the God of pursuit in this uh, beloved story. So first of all, let's see him as the God of providence in the first three chapters of first three verses of chapter two. So if you will, remember how at the end of chapter 1, we left Naomi and Ruth as they came back to Bethlehem, and it was really a bleak picture. Naomi's husband and her sons have died, and her daughter-in-law, Orpah, went back to Moab, and she's come back to Bethlehem with just Ruth. And now they are in this extremely vulnerable situation in the ancient Near East at this time, as women, as widowers, as people without means of providing for themselves. Uh, They were significant risks to themselves. They were a significant liability socially, economically, and even Ruth spiritually as a foreigner and as a former Moabite, even though she has expressed her faith in the covenant God of Israel, uh, people don't know her in Bethlehem. And they come back to Bethlehem with this bleak and seemingly hopeless picture, except we should know for a fact Uh, that nothing is utterly hopeless so long as there is a God in heaven. There is no such thing as total hopelessness so long as God is alive. And that flicker of light of hope coming into Naomi's story and Ruth's story is first seen as a tiny flicker of light in the last verse of chapter 1, that as they return to Bethlehem, they come back at the beginning of the barley harvest, that there is a harvest that comes to Israel after the famine and these notes of hope are starting to ring out and they really build in the first three verses of chapter 2. We find several reasons to find hope for the story of Naomi and Ruth. Uh, one note especially to pay attention to is look in verse 4 and notice the notice the behavior of Naomi. Uh, The fact that this famine had come upon Israel, and we said last week that when a famine comes upon the promised land, it's not just an agricultural uh, reality, it's not just a, a crisis of agriculture, it's a crisis of spiritual life. When the famine breaks, it represents not necessarily food coming back to Israel, but also a spiritual revival among the people of Israel. We see here in verse 4 that there is greetings being exchanged between a, a man and the people who work in his field. The man greets them saying, the Lord be with you. And the laborers working in his field call back to him, the Lord bless you. And You can notice how in your English translation when they invoke the name of the Lord, it's in all capital letters because they're calling out the name of Yahweh, the God of the covenant. God's name is upon the lips of his own people. They aren't greeting each other, coming out in the middle of the work day saying, hey, how's it going? It's fine. How are you? They are speaking God's name. The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. They are conscious again of their God. The people who had strayed and needed to repent are coming back to the Lord and that's true not only of the whole nation, but also for the lives of Naomi and Ruth because there is hope for them after a period of uh, destitution, after a period of Spiritual famine. So is there hope for Naomi and Ruth? Well, if you ask Naomi, still she would say the answer is no. As far as Naomi is concerned, coming back to Bethlehem has been nothing but bitter for her. But as we read this story, we find that there are actually great hints of hopeful reality. It turns out that there's someone in Bethlehem who stands in a completely unique situation to be able to help Naomi and Ruth. It's the same man who brings those greetings in verse 4, and his name is Boaz. We're introduced to him in verse 1. And in verse 1 and 2 and 3, we are told three different times, twice in verse 1 and then once more in verse 3, that Boaz is a relative to Naomi, that Boaz is of the house of Elimelech. And if you can picture a narrator telling this story... They're saying when they introduced who Boaz is with a sly grin on their face, keep your eye on on this one. Watch who Boaz is and watch what he does. Because we who are reading this story, we already know what Ruth doesn't. That Boaz is a very unique person in that he stands in a legal position to fulfill what Deuteronomy 25 calls a leveret marriage. That there were uh, ways that God gave to Israel to keep family lineages going when a husband was to pass away. That the next closest male kin of that deceased husband could marry the widow and maintain the family line and name, maintain the claims of all family property. And we're told early on that there is such a man, and that name is, man is Boaz. He can preserve the family line of Naomi. He can preserve the family lineage and property of Naomi and Ruth. And so you have these instances of hope coming to Bethlehem, the spiritual revival among the people, and the fact that there is hope for Naomi's broken heart in the fact that someone can redeem her life and her family. It's like this invitation to uh, set up what's happening. The ball is on the tee and we're about to swing back and, and hit the ball. And just before all this action happens, the, the, the narrator is saying to us, just watch what God can do. Just watch what God can do in, in your life and in Naomi's life. The details then begin and Ruth saying to, to Naomi in verse 2, let me go out into the fields and, uh, and gather some grain. We need to eat. Uh, My mother-in-law, you're overcome with grief. Ruth says, I'll go. So Naomi sends her out. And uh, also what's happening here is that Ruth is taking advantage of a provision from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, where God had required Israel's farmers when they gathered their harvest to not gather all the way to the edge of the field. And so uh, this could be something akin to not picking the end rows or not going back to gather the combine skips. But the reason why God did this in Deuteronomy 24 is it says uh, that when you were a slave in Egypt, no one cared for your needs. And so as the people of God, now that you're in the promised land, I want you to remember that there are people who stand in need and who can provide for themselves, it was God's law to give to Israel for the, 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 the benefit of the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow. In other words, people just like Ruth, who stood in need of aid, who needed help. Now... Deuteronomy 24 is a civil law in Israel, which means that it's not still in place in the New Covenant area. So that means you're not sinning when you pick your end rows uh, by any means whatsoever. Uh, but the spirit of this law is still enforced for us as Christians. That God's people are to be compassionate and generous, especially to the most vulnerable, especially to those who stand most in need and who are unable to provide for themselves. So here comes Ruth with the intent to glean in the fields, but also conscious of the fact that she is a foreigner from the land of Moab. That detail is repeated twice early in this chapter. And the question is, is, as Ruth goes out to provide for her and her mother-in-law, is she going to be rejected or is she going to be welcomed? The former pagan Moabite Ruth, will she be welcomed or not? And what we should stop and appreciate here is what God is doing What is God doing? He is bringing into what was once a bleak and hopeless picture and it's set up for an absolute explosion of good things to come both for Naomi and for Ruth. And we have this front row seat to the unfolding of God's goodness in their lives. And Naomi and Ruth have come back just in time for the barley harvest. And you see in verse 3 that Ruth just so happened to come to Boaz's field. Who wouldn't you know, Boaz is the one person in all of Bethlehem who can restore what has been lost to this heartbroken family. All these details are being set up. It's amazing, isn't it, how often small details Play such a significant role in the outcome of our lives. Uh, maybe you've heard that the popular saying. Uh, popular weather saying that a butterfly flapping its wings can set off a tornado in Texas. A butterfly in Brazil can set off a tornado in Texas. Where does that come from? It comes from uh, an MIT mathematician and meteorologist named Edward Lorenz, who was running computer calculations to predict weather patterns. And what he would do is in his computer modules, uh, he would produce statistically inconsequential variants to numbers. He would round out like the tenth decimal place but when rounding out the 10th decimal place, he would come back and it would produce massive changes in the final numbers and final predictions. The point of all that is, is that small things can have a big impact. And if that's true in the case of meteorological science, it's true for math, how much more is it true of a God who can do great things with small details? What's on display in all of this chapter here is the wisdom of God's providence the unfolding of his plan God's providence is his most wise and gracious care and guidance of all creatures and their actions and it is this hope filled reality in chapter 2 and it's set against what Naomi had to say about God at the end of chapter 1 do you remember at the end of chapter 1 when Naomi comes back to Bethlehem she's bitter she's callous In the bitterness of her grief, Naomi said, God has dealt bitterly with me. Naomi is willing to acknowledge God's sovereignty, but she says, God is sovereign. He's powerful, but you know what? He's not good. In his power and in his providence, he has wounded me. He's all power and no mercy. He's all sovereignty and no goodness. Naomi views God's providence as a weapon against her, and you know what? Unfortunately, I think many people have the same thought, that God in his ruling of the world is only bringing about harsh things to me, only bringing about pain, and only bringing about sorrow. But in reality, what this chapter is telling us is that God is at work through his providence, And that providence is altogether gracious and altogether good to bring about good things for his people. That we find this particular place on this particular day with these particular people, God was at work to bring about his plan of salvation that's ultimately going to be revealed in Jesus Christ. What we find in this is that there are no insignificant actions, no insignificant people, no insignificant moments, because God is at work in all things, in your life, in Ruth's life, and that is of remarkable comfort to us. One last note here in this opening section, though, that there is the reality that Ruth is faced with a desperate time, But what Ruth does here is something that we need to remember. Ruth doesn't have a clue what's down the road for her. A year from now, a month from now, she doesn't have a clue what tomorrow is going to bring. But do you notice what she decides to do? I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know that I can trust God for today. I'll go and I'll glean from the fields. I will go and trust God I'll go be obedient to God today and trust him for tomorrow. She knows she can glean the fields and she knows that God will provide and she'll just have to rest with the fact that tomorrow will be in his hands. And when tomorrow comes, it will be today. And today she'll have to obey God and trust him for the next day. It's exactly what Jesus said, isn't it? Don't be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Jesus' point is that God is trustworthy and this story is one big illustration of that fact that the God of providence is altogether trustworthy so we can obey him today and trust him for tomorrow. But our God is also in the second place the God of provision. Not just a God of providence, but a God of provision. We see that in verses 4 to 17. As Boaz comes to the field, his attention is drawn on Ruth, and he receives a report about how hard of a worker she's been. She's been there all day, and he gets what appears to be the full story about where this Moabite girl came from and who she is to such a degree that when he speaks to her, he is able to say in verse 11, "'All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband "'has been fully told to me. "'I've heard the story about you, Ruth. "'I've heard what you said.'" your mother-in-law on the road back to Bethlehem I've heard of your faith I've heard of your trust he makes provision in verse 8 and verse 9 that Ruth should stay in his field where she can glean all she wants under the protection of his male workers because uh, a young woman going out into the fields with a bunch of uh, men that she doesn't know would not have been a place of comfort for her but Boaz makes provision for her to make sure she's protected Boaz is providing for Ruth's food and protection. He is essentially treating her as if she's a member of his own household. In verse 14, we find Ruth being welcomed in for the afternoon meal where she's able to eat until she was satisfied, so much so that she has a doggy bag of leftovers after her meal. Boaz instructs his other workers to leave some of what they have gathered behind for Ruth so that Ruth can gather not just off the ends of the field where the grain is okay, but that they can leave behind some of the best of the grain that they've picked for Ruth. And all of this is being done by Boaz. Now, you should ask, what, what is Boaz doing and what's his motivation? Because some people read all of this and they see Boaz's actions as nothing more than a flirtation of romance right? He's hitting on Ruth, some people say. Does it have elements of that? Perhaps. But is that the point? Not according to Boaz himself. Why does he do this? Look what he says in verse 12. To this girl who's left behind everything, to this girl who is a widow and a stranger, he says to her in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you've done, And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's saying to Ruth, in other words, uh, to you, Moabite, stranger, I welcome you. I welcome you in the name of the Lord. And I'll make sure you're kept safe. And I'll provide for you. I welcome you in the name of the Lord because you are no longer a stranger to our God and so therefore you will not be a stranger to me and the blessings of my house. Boaz is invoking this this beautiful imagery of Psalm 91 verse 4 where the psalmist speaks of the Lord covering us with his feathers, gathering us up, as a bird over her young to find refuge. Psalm 91 says, The faithfulness of the Lord is a shield. And Boaz blesses Ruth both with his words and with his kindness. Ruth came to the field that day, starving perhaps, hoping to gather just what was left over and possibly have enough for Naomi and her to have just enough to keep them from going hungry. She comes empty and then walks away with more than she can carry. Far beyond her hopes and expectations, Boaz provides for her more and extravagantly more than Ruth and Naomi even need. And the picture in that is of God's great provision, isn't it? Especially when you go back to chapter 1, when in chapter 1, verse 21, Naomi says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. They've come back to Bethlehem and the Lord has not left them empty It's a picture of the gracious and abundant provision of God that Ruth has come to take shelter under the covenant mercy of God and he blesses her and provides for her needs and we should see in Boaz The picture of that gracious provision, because Boaz represents a picture of one who is infinitely greater than Boaz. The greater Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to take meager circumstances like five loaves of bread and two fish and feed some 5,000 people and have so much that there's left over. And all of that is a picture not of Jesus' culinary skill, but of his abundant mercy and of his kindness. The God who made provision in Israel's harvest to feed the orphan and the widow and the sojourner is the same God who makes the great provision of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the picture that we have of that salvation. That no one who ever came to Christ in sincere faith goes away empty. No one who ever comes to Jesus Christ in sincerity leaves with longing still. That means that in the gospel there is grace and grace upon grace and abundant wellspring of grace to fill all of our deepest spiritual needs. And why does that matter so much for us? It matters because, if we're honest, many of us live in fear that because of what we've done today, Jesus will not love us tomorrow. We're worried that in our sin that we've found the bottom of God's mercy, that the well has run dry, There's no more left for us. And what does the gospel say to that, this picture of Ruth? It tells us that Jesus is not just an adequate Savior. The good news is that there is more grace for you in the gospel than you can possibly even manage. Picture Ruth stumbling home with all of this grain that she's been given when she only expected to have just enough to keep from starving, and she goes home full, barely enough to make it home, carry it all herself. She's been given this kind of mercy, which is a picture for us, that there is an abundant mercy for you in Jesus Christ, more than you can even manage, more mercy in Christ than sin in you, and it's all in Jesus Christ when we come to him, empty within ourselves to be filled by him, filled with forgiveness, and filled with righteousness and filled with joy. It's this picture of the abundance of God's provision. What a picture this is. So Ruth then, in the third place, we find her coming home. We'll see what God is doing. Ruth comes staggering home and Naomi's broken heart is warmed at the sight of what Ruth has brought home. She wants all the details from Ruth. When Ruth explains whose field she'd been working in, you see this new light come in Naomi's eyes because she knows about Boaz and she says of him in verse 20, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And we're used to using that word in the sense of Jesus as a redeemer, but Naomi uses it in the sense of that leveret marriage of Deuteronomy 25. Boaz is a man who can restore what we have lost. She knows the provisions of Deuteronomy and the principle of lever marriage, so she says, keep going back there, Ruth. Keep his attention, <laughs> right? Clearly, Naomi has mother-in-law matchmaking on her mind, fundamentally, right? But, but amidst the romantic scheming of a mother-in-law, don't miss the greater story above the story. Do you see what's happening? The purposes of the main character... Because God is not just providing for their needs. He is in pursuit of their hearts. God is in pursuit of Naomi's heart. Naomi's wayward and bitter heart that said at the end of chapter 1, Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. When Naomi last spoke the Lord's name, it was with broken-hearted bitterness. And now, in verse 20, she says, the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God is at work in Naomi's heart to thaw out what had become so callous and cold. God is in pursuit of her heart. She sees now that there is hope for her and hope for Ruth and hope for the lineage of her family. And even though she doesn't know it, she is having a front row seat to the unfolding of the hope for all of humanity because this story is preparing us for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, for all people who stand in need of a Redeemer, not just a Redeemer of the namesake of their family or of their lands, but a Redeemer of the soul. God has been in relentless pursuit of Naomi's heart. God is in pursuit of those who have broken hearts and mournful hearts, And it's all part of the great story of the Bible that Jesus says the Father is seeking true worshipers. He wants to fill those who know that they are empty and satisfy the desires of every breaking and aching heart. What we see in chapter 2 is that God, the main character of the story of Ruth, is a God of providence and a God of provision and a God of pursuit. The true main character and the same God who reigns in your life and mine. And from Ruth, we should learn to trust him when we don't know what he's doing, when we can't understand his ways, to remember that he is altogether good all the time. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you that in your kind mercy, you provide for our needs and you teach us that you are trustworthy And so, Father, I pray that by your Spirit that you would rest upon every heart and mind here today and give us the great confidence that you are our faithful covenant-keeping God, whose grace is never a well to run dry, but in Jesus Christ we find fullness and grace upon grace. Lord, bless each one of us today as we trust in you and give us the patient endurance of faith, to believe even when we cannot see. And so, Lord, bless us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.